0: 9, 14 to 29. You notice that during the ministry of Jesus, again and again, you hear about demons coming out into the open, evil spirits, unclean spirits. It's interesting that, particularly in the ministry of Jesus, you see them coming out into the open. Why is that? It's not like today, but it's very, very focused in those those days, the days of Jesus. It's because Jesus has come to destroy them, to destroy the works of the devil. And so they're fighting back, and therefore you see them become all the more um, fighting back against Christ. And it comes out in so many different ways in the Gospels. By the time you get to the epistles and the letters, you don't see so much of that anymore. Because Christ has died, he has resurrected from the dead, and Satan is now bound Right, until Christ returns, and then Satan will be thrown into the pit of fire with all, his, um, with all the wicked with him. So that's a little bit of a, of a background, and here you see some, another example, another illustration of that. Mark 9, beginning at verse 14. This falls on the transfiguration. Remember we did that about two months ago, so uh, the context is important here as well. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, It throws him down. It foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it up, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, fell on the ground, and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we'll focus on those verses this morning. 14 through 29. You know, you read verses 1 through 13. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And now these verses. What a contrast. It's so clear, so striking, the contrast, isn't it? One man, J.C. Ryle, says it this way We come down from the vision of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration to what? To a conflict with demon possession down below. So there you see Jesus in all his glory up there, and there's just demon possession below. We are now, or we are no longer in the company of Moses and Elijah, which was a beautiful thing, but now in the company of unbelieving scribes, a faithless generation. He goes on to say, we hear the voice of God the Father bearing witness to His Son. He says, listen to Him. And down below, they're not listening to Him. There's a scene of pain, weakness, Misery. A boy is in agony. A father is in despair. The disciples are perplexed by Satan's power. The contrast we feel is so very vivid, isn't it? And here you see the Son of God. The Son of God so willingly laying aside his glory to come into this messy existence of ours. There's so much pain, so much unbelief. Unbelieving generation. And yet he comes, willingly lays aside his glory for that. You know, our faith is not always what it should be. That's true for God's people. Our faith wavers. Our faith stumbles. We fall. And you know, it's simply not the case that we always see times of glory. No? Certainly there may be seasons on the mount, but they are but few exceptions. Life is a battle. It's a battle against unbelief. Which side are we going to take? The side of Christ or the side of Satan? It's all very clear. But here in Mark 9, 14 to 29, the word of God comes to us this morning. And we're reminded that no matter how frail your faith is, you have a strong Savior. His name is Jesus. And he does, there's three things we're reminded of here. We have a strong Savior to face the power of unbelief in our life. Those words of Jesus, just, you know, faithless generation. He's talking to everybody there at the base of the mountain. And now we're going to see that we have a strong Savior to face the powerful influences of unbelief in our lives. And therefore, second of all, come to Jesus in faith. And third of all, continue relying upon Christ through prayer. We see that in these verses before us. Verses 14 to 18. Really, we have a strong Savior, don't we? The disciples missed it. They weren't relying on the Savior, and that's why unbelief overtook them. They fell. There was failure morally, you could say, emotionally, morally. They went away from Christ, you could say. Being on the mountain, Jesus was not with the other nine disciples. Remember, there were three disciples with Jesus on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And the other nine down below, they thought that, well, Jesus is gone, so that means his presence and power is gone too. That was in their mind. And now it seems like the devil is in control of their lives, in control of the life on earth below. The evil spirit that possesses the boy is not yielding at all to the disciples. As a matter of fact, the disciples are not able to cast out the evil spirit. Now you go back a few chapters. Remember Mark 6? Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's training his disciples because he knows that the day of his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, so he's going to be leaving them eventually. So he wants them to continue his work on earth. And he gave them commission to go and preach the gospel and to cast out demons already in John 6. And they came back with great reports of how the Lord was working But they would also need to learn, as Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. And that's what we see here. As soon as Jesus is away from them, goes up to the top of the mountain, the disciples are unable to cast out the unclean spirit. It's almost as if they forgot Jesus out of sight, out of mind, and thinking that they were On their own, and therefore they had to do that in their own strength. Jesus comes down from the mountain. How it must have pained him! You know, he came into this world. How this must have pained him to even see his own disciples. What does he see? He finds his little flock, nine disciples, in great confusion. It's chaotic. There's no order. It's kind of like the time of Moses. Remember when he came down the mountain? What did he see? He saw confusion. What was the confusion? Well, the people thought, well, Moses is gone, therefore the Lord is gone. So they had Aaron build a golden calf and they began to worship it. Jesus sees a multitude surrounding his disciples and those scribes are at it again. They are jeering at the disciples, mocking them, They're disputing with the disciples. They don't believe. As a matter of fact, they're they're critics of Jesus. They always have something to say, but now they see the failure of the disciples of Jesus and they just rub it in. They're gloating. (laughs) They're gloating over the disciples' failure. The experience, isn't it, of feeling defeated is at times so real in our lives as Christians, isn't it? Unbelief, it can come in different forms. Unbelief wants to grab faith by the throat and strangle it. And it can come in so many subtle ways that we are drawn away from Christ. Unbelief begins to settle in. It becomes more and more powerful. And it wants to just take us down. Think of the psalmist in his response to the, the taunts of the wicked, in Psalm 42. As with a breaking of my bones, the psalmist says, my enemies reproach me, and they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is he? Or think about Psalm 35. The psalmist prays, let them not rejoice over me. That's what we see happening here. The scribes are sort of rejoicing. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies nor let them wink with the eye who have hated me without a cause, for they do not speak peace. They also open their mouths against me and say, aha, aha, gotcha. Our eyes have seen it. But you know what? Look at verse 16. Jesus sees it all. He sees it all. And you notice You see the the grace and the love of Christ. Now he comes to the defense of his unbelieving disciples. This is so powerful here. How does he do that? He asked the scribes, the unbelieving people there, what are you discussing with the disciples? It's not that Jesus didn't know. Jesus knew all along what they were discussing. But by his question... What is Jesus doing? He's drawing the crowd's attention away from his disciples who've been humiliated, and now he draws that attention away from them to himself. Jesus is fully aware of the the weakness of his disciples, and this point, the failure of his disciples. He loves them, not because they deserve his love, but because they are his chosen ones the ones whom he will lay down his life for. You know, the fun that the scribes are having is suddenly taken away. And who answers the question? Remember Jesus asked the question, what are you discussing with them? Well, that question, that that discussion, that dispute began because they were unable, the disciples were unable to cast out the demon. And now no one answers except one from the crowd over whom that dispute began, and that was the father of the boy who had that demon. Teacher, teacher, I brought you. He was thinking Jesus might be there. I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out but they couldn't now this is this really happened we have to understand that don't forget the demons are furious that Christ has come and he has come to destroy them and they're uh, reacting very powerfully against Christ by trying to invade the hearts and lives of people and just wreck them and destroy them but here the disciples could not why not Because they were not depending on Christ. They were relying on themselves. You know what that happens? When we rely on ourselves? Nothing goes right. And you see that for the disciples. That's why nothing was going right for the disciples. Or for the father or the boy. Because Christ must be the center. When we become the center. Life is awful. Life becomes miserable. And that's what we see here. And now Christ shows himself and he becomes the center here. He becomes a subject. And that brings us to verses 19 through 27. Our strong Savior is strong. He's fully sufficient for us. And therefore, really in the context of unbelief that seeks to strangle us, there's always that call to come to faith in Christ. Every day. It's not something in the past only. Every day, we get up our beds. There's that call. Come to faith in Christ. Because the wisdom of man fails. It will never carry us through the day. And this is the powerful lesson here in that broken boy for all of us to see a life so torn apart by Satan and the effects of sin. You can imagine how horrible it was for his father, how his father just grieved day by day. But you notice with a painful expression, Jesus confronts what? All the unbelief that is present before him, even the unbelief of his own disciples. What does he say in verse 18? O oh, faithless generation! You know, sometimes we get pain because we see unbelief and how that becomes very powerful in God's people. But think about how painful that was for Christ, who He came to lay down His life for. Faithless generation! How long am I going to put up with you? How long is this going to continue? Bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. What happens when they bring the boy to Him? Oh, this. Satan hates it. Satan hates it when we read our Bibles. Satan hates it when we go to church. Satan hates it when we depend upon Christ. And here you see how Satan hates it because this boy is being brought into the presence of Christ and Christ has that authority whereby he will overcome the demons and the principalities and the powers. Look at verse 20. At the moment that boy is brought into the presence of Christ, convulsions, convulsions occur at that very moment when they see Jesus, when the demon sees Jesus. What happens to the boy? He's rolling on the ground, foaming at the mouth in great pain. Think about that today. Why do you think people in their sin and unbelief want to stay away from Jesus? They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to come to church. It's because Christ may turn their life upside down. And when you come into the presence of Christ, the light exposes the darkness and the unbelief in us. Mind you, Christ comes to give life. But Satan doesn't want us to think that way. Jesus threatens Satan's domain over man. And he doesn't want man... To come to Jesus for life, and therefore a man doesn't see it; he's blinded to the goodness and the and the, and the love of God. You know, it's Jesus. You see His great love. The demons don't love this boy at all. They're torturing. Him. They're to put him. They don't want him to die. But Jesus, He goes to His goes to the Father and He says, "How long has this, has this been happening? How long?" Jesus knows, but he wants to hear the story from the Father. Just like he wants to hear your story. Jesus listens to his story as he wants to hear our story. And our story may be a messed up one. A messed up story. It may be a messed up life in pornography. It may be a messed up life in drugs. Alcohol. Alcohol. It may be just that continual story of jealousy or anger or hatred. Whatever it is, it's slavery. It's slavery to sin in whatever form it is. And when, those, when we become a slave to sin, it defaces us. It mars God's image in us. It destroys. And ultimately, it brings death. Eternal death. Christ has come into the situation. He does. He comes. And in this father's story, his son is not just falling into the fire. He's being thrown into the fire, into the water. For what purpose? To destroy him. Understand, the the long road of unbelief leads to destruction. That's where Satan, that's where Satan what that's what Satan really wants. But you notice how the Father comes to Jesus. He tells a story. And he says to Jesus, If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. Notice what he says? If. What does that tell you? If you can do anything. If. What does it tell you? He's doubting, isn't he? He's doubting. The Father is doubtful if Jesus can really help him. Where are those... Examples in your life, but notice why why, why is the Father doubtful of Jesus? that's not how Jesus wants us to come to him, doubting as if to say, "Oh, but I'm too deep into this I'm too deep within this mess, or others can't do anything for me anyway or Jesus can't help me in my situation anymore. He won't be able to help me in my situation anymore. The real question here is not whether Jesus is able, but the real question is whether you believe. The problem is not with Jesus. He's he's fully sufficient and he's fully willing. But do we believe? Do we believe? Notice what Jesus says in verse 23. What do you mean if you can? It's like he confronts this man and says, What do you mean? If you can. And then he goes on to say, all things are possible to him who believes. And then the father just simply cries out. He's even crying more, and even crying more for help. Lord, he says, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, Lord, but help me when I don't. I have a hard time believing. My faith is so mixed up with many fears and many doubts. It wants to take me down. My faith is so imperfect. And so it is, congregation. Don't look at your faith. It'll disappoint you. Your faith will disappoint you. But look to Christ. This is important. Christ does not look at how much faith you have. He doesn't say, oh, look how good his faith is. Oh, because you have so much faith... You're going to get all this good stuff from me. That's rubbish. It's simply not true. That's that's works. Faith is a gift. Faith is not works. It's not by our works. That's paganism. Faith is a gift. We look to Christ. Christ only. No matter how undeserving we are, we look to Christ. Our faith does not save us. That's not true. Our faith does not save us. What saves us? Christ does. Christ saves us. Yeah, through faith. And that by grace alone. J.C. Ryle states it this way. We must, use our weak, we must use our faith, no matter how weak our faith is, how trembling our faith is, how doubting our faith is, how feeble our faith is, We must use it. Pray and don't allow unbelief to keep you away from Jesus, from the presence of Jesus. But do remember, our confidence is not to be in our faith, but our confidence is to be in Christ. Jesus answers not according to the poorness of our faith. He answers us according to the riches of his grace. You know, that's the difference between other religions where God, I scratch your back. If you scratch, I'll I'll scratch your back as long as you give me something. That's, 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 That's not Christianity. Christianity is based on a relationship. A relationship based on believing in Christ. He gives even though we don't deserve it. And he commands faith. Jesus speaks with great authority. Satan is obliged to obey. And at once, Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. Deaf, dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the unclean spirit is forced to go out of the boy. And you notice he still makes one final attempt to destroy the work of Christ. Notice, Christ is the center of our salvation. And he's still trying to hinder Christ from fulfilling his purposes. That clash between Christ and Satan is so violent here that the evil spirit comes out of the boy and it seems like the boy is dead. Looks like Satan has won. Doesn't it? Looks like Satan has won. The boy seems dead. He's just laying there. Does he have a pulse? Aren't things worse now? Oh, maybe it's because I didn't have enough faith. Maybe the father's thinking that. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. That's wrong thinking. Oh, the crowds are thinking the boy is dead. Is it because of the father's fragile faith that things are worse? No. Sometimes things seem to get worse before they get better in their lives. But the question is, will we trust Christ? Will we believe His Word? Will we believe His promises, which are yes and amen in Christ? In spite of what we see with our open eyes, or in spite of what we see with our eyes, it may look really bad, but do we believe? Do we depend? Do we really trust in the God's promises given to us in Christ? Two days ago, Henry died three years ago, so two days ago. It was three-year anniversary of Henry's death. You know, people would come to him and say, you can get out of this, you know. We can pray for you and your cancer can be healed. Henry said, rubbish. If Christ wants to take me home, he will take me home. He trusted in the promises of Christ, and he died a happy man because he knew that Christ was with him. Jesus, you know, looks like this man, this boy is dead. Jesus just calmly comes, lifts him up, and the boy is walking. Fully restored. Fully restored. Jesus restores the image of God in man. There's wholeness. There's new creation. There's peace. This life, understand. And that was coming yet at that time, but we can look past, we can look to the we can look to the past. This life Jesus obtained for us through his death and resurrection. And there you see the most violent clash in all of history between Satan and Christ, between the kingdom of light, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Satan thought he killed the Christ on the cross. You almost see that in that little boy, right? And he did. He bruised his heel. Yet yeah, Christ broke the power of Satan. Crushing his head. Having risen from the dead. Christ really died. He truly died. But he overcame death. By rising from the dead. Yeah. It comes down to us. It, either Christ or Satan. It's either the kingdom of light. Or the kingdom of darkness. There's no in between. It's either belief or not believing. Restoration, eternal life comes by believing in Christ. And so he comes to you, and he says, come to me. Come to me in faith, every day again. Enjoy my fellowship. Live in my presence. And that brings us to our final point. We're relying on Christ in prayer. It's a daily thing, isn't it? A daily thing. Jesus uses this as a lesson, a teaching point to his disciples, but also to us. You see, verses 28-29, when Jesus had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You notice that Jesus here gathers with his disciples in a house. And anytime you see that in the Gospels, those were typically times where Jesus would use that as an opportunity to teach his disciples for their benefit. And now he uses their failure, their failure in not trusting him, to teach a very timely lesson. What lesson is that? Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus loves them. He wants to teach them. He wants to teach them to rely on him. Even in the most difficult situations when he does not seem to be present. In these situations, how much more important it is to pray, even fast. The reason why I say that is because sometimes the temptation in really difficult times, or sometimes in really good times, is to not pray and not to rely on On Christ, but on ourselves. Praying is really the expression of our faith, of our trust in Christ, isn't it? Of our fellowship with Him. Oh, Satan may tempt you, saying, Ah, what difference does it make? Jesus won't listen to you. Look how bad you are. Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. Don't pray. And sometimes, if you're sensitive to the work of Christ, you feel those satanic attacks so directly in your life. And he wants you to focus on yourself and on your life only, not on Jesus. Because if you focus on Jesus and rely on Jesus, Satan then flees from you. And so do the evil spirits. When you place your trust in Christ, when you come into the presence of Christ, Satan runs, demons flee. Don't look at your faith. Then you're relying on your work of faith. No, you look, you rely upon Christ who did that work for you on the cross, who in his love gave his life for you because of your sins and my sins. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Even if you don't have the right words to say, and always remember Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that will. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. But we're still sinners. Don't doubt his love. Don't think about having a perfect, you're never going to have a perfect faith. Don't think that Christ listens to you because you have better faith than somebody else. That's not true. That's not true. We go to Christ with what faith we have. The point is believing. We live on this earth. Satan is strong. Satan is busy. He's active, especially against the members of God's church, of Christ's church. But remember, Jesus is a stronger one. And he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Hebrews 7.25. What should you do when your unbelief in you is so strong or when your faith feels so weak and small? Pray. Read the Bible. Come into the presence of Christ. These are the ways you fight Satan. These are the ways you fight unbelief. Trust Christ. Trust his promises. They are true. Never doubt them. Never doubt them. Jesus gives us promise. And this is a true thing too. One day this world that we're living in will be freed from Satan and all the wicked people and unbelievers. And then the reversal of the curse will be soulfully complete. Love those words in Revelation twenty one, four, and five, and I often repeat them, often, I often repeat them here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, I am making everything new. There's the mountaintop. We haven't reached it yet. We see it by faith. But there's the mountaintop. This is the glory. This is the new creation. Fullness of joy. And so we may sing. There's that song, When Peace Like a River... One verse goes like this. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumps shall we sound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Can you say that? Is it well? No matter how frail your faith, look to Jesus He's a strong Savior. This is God's gift of salvation for you. And what do we do with the gift? Receive it by faith. Receive it. We have the promise of complete victory in Christ. The Bible says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Amen.